So this morning I went for a run in the woods on these really beautiful trails that are used by snowmobiles. It's called the Vermont Association of Snow Travelers, the organization that maintains the trails and works with landowners to allow access in the wintertime. I'm not really sure if you're supposed to walk on them, but I don't really mind it. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a snowmobiler, so um, I don't think it messes up the trails when they're really hard to walk on them or to run on them. And they're really the only trails I could walk on right now without snowshoes around here, so I just kind of do it. Um, the run goes up the hill beyond the yurt and down into a field and it crosses a little road and then it goes into some woods. The woods are pretty young. I'd say between 10 and 50 years old at the absolute maximum of the trees there. A lot of beech trees with this canker disease that they have. Some yellow birch, silver birch, and a couple maple trees, paper birch. Once in a while there's a pine tree. Kind of a scraggly woods over there. But the trail is nice. It goes up and down following the grade of a hill and it eventually gets to this really large field that's owned by a family called the Mudges. And they're summer people, so they aren't here right now. And there the field opens up, and the view opens up to something more that you'd expect in Colorado or something. There's a split rail fence and a grove of aspen trees, and you can see a far ridge with trees on top. And if you took a photo the right way and people didn't really notice that you were surrounded by deciduous forest, you probably would think that you were in the Rockies or something. And the magic thing about it is, of course besides the snowmobiles that sometimes go by, there's no one on the trail ever. And I've never been running on it when a snowmobile went by because this part of Vermont is pretty remote. It's not really close to anything. It's about an hour away from everything. And that makes it nice in some ways, but also pretty lonely. I ran up a steep hill after that through a different set of woods after crossing another road and into this area that was a logging track, still is a logging track that's owned by owned by this guy named Hemingway, who owned a couple thousand acres of forest around here. And he is a good forester type of a person. He contracted out to companies that just do very careful cutting. And so there's a lot of d diversity in his woods. And he himself loved to walk in them. And there's been some memorials about him because he did such a beautiful job of preserving access and the woods themselves. And so those woods are pretty nice. They're pretty well thinned and some pretty old trees in there that he left. Probably told the loggers to leave some of the old trees, which is really good for wildlife. And that's quite a steep hill over there, and running in the snow makes it really hard. 
and I think it's probably 500 feet vertical from the bottom to the top of it, maybe a little bit more. And the whole course is around 1,000 or 1,200, I would say. It's about three and a half miles one way. And I was trying to run at a pretty decent pace today, but running's always weird. I just, I never know how fast I'm gonna run. Maybe it's because I have a phone that's like five years old, doesn't really record stuff very accurately. But anyway, it was a good run. As I was coming back down to the big field, I started to think about something that has been on my mind for a while, which is this experience that I had when I got a vasectomy recently. Because this morning I had talked to my friend Bo, who's a Chinese medicine doctor, acupuncturist, and herbalist, Alexander Technique practitioner, Tai Chi practitioner, uh, lots of different things he's he's into and really skilled at. And I was doing a consult with him. And so something I wanted to ask him about was this experience that happened during the vasectomy that I just had. I went to the Planned Parenthood in Burlington because I've only had good experiences with Planned Parenthood um, with my girlfriend's needs, different gynecological needs over the years. And everything went pretty well. There was this moment when I was on the table um, when the nurse practitioner had cut the wrong part of some tissue that was supposed to be the vas deferens. And uh, the situation with this surgery is that they have to find the vas deferens by palpating them touching them with the fingers and then essentially using forceps or some kind of a clamp to pull them out of the pelvis. And it's extremely traumatic. Um, I didn't really know that going into it, but it's like the worst pain I've ever felt probably is like getting shot in the pelvis or getting kicked or something really hard. Um, and so she had to do that sensation where she grabbed the vast deference with some kind of forceps, like, three times instead of just two. And uh, it did some damage. In the moment, what happened was I had what's called vasovaginal syncope or syncope. I don't really know the pronunciation on that word, but it means that you're fainting. It's like a state of shock. So what happened was my hands and my feet started to go numb and I started to get really cold. And the pulse and the pulse oximeter on my finger, which is those little clampy clampy things that measure your pulse and your blood pressure and stuff, or just pulse actually, usually, um, started to stop working because there was no blood in the extremities anymore. It started to pool in the organs. Basically what was happening is I was undergoing a shock. Um, because I saw some indecisiveness in the nurse and I, I was wondering how long this procedure was going to be prolonged for because it was extremely uncomfortable. And I was wondering if she had done it right. I was wondering if she had hurt me. 
I have pretty good control over my physical reactions to things, but I guess this was a little too much, and I started to kind of go into that state of fainting. And it was really strange because the nurse and her assistants just wouldn't look at me. I think they felt embarrassed or afraid. And so they didn't look at me. Um, They looked at the monitor, and the monitor wasn't reading anything. And so they were frustrated with the technology not showing them my vitals. And I felt disconnected from the experience, and I felt afraid, of course. And in the end, what helped me was they said one thing I could do at the beginning was squeeze the assistant's hand. And so I reached out and took their hand and squeezed it. And it felt really warm and strong. And that's what brought me back. They actually, the nurse had me breathe some oxygen in from a tank and that didn't really seem to do anything. But squeezing the person's hand, feeling that warmth and the comfort just was really what worked. And I remember at the end, standing up, feeling fine, saying something to the nurse like, well, I guess this is a learning experience for all of us, which probably wasn't the right thing to say, but I don't know. I can be kind of straightforward sometimes, and maybe she needed to be humbled a little bit. I don't know. What I felt like when I was laying there was that I wanted to get away from the experience. Things flitted through my mind, places that I've been, beautiful places that I've kind of left a part of myself, so to speak. Places I've hiked, camped, slept, places outside in nature, really. And it was really interesting that my mind went to this specific meadow in the Grovant Wilderness which is the wilderness that's near in northern Wyoming, really. I'm not really going to name a town where it is, but it's extremely unused and extremely remote, even though it's close to a couple of national parks. And my mind went there to that place in that moment of fear, which I found pretty interesting. And then as I recovered from and reflected on that experience, I started to feel bad about myself. I actually apologized to the nurses after the procedure because I didn't want to inconvenience them because I felt weak. Now, weakness comes from fear or fear creates weakness or fear is part of the feeling of weakness. Anyway, they're related somehow. And I've always felt weak. I've never felt like a strong, physically strong person. And so weakness is something that I've always battled with. Athletic activities and stuff have never come naturally to me. 
and I never really was fast or strong or any of those things that that men and boys are often expected to be. And so I've always felt kind of weak overall. And so when I was laying there and I couldn't handle the pain seemingly of this operation, I felt weak. And I thought I had long ago left behind that kind of feeling because when I first left my home, which happened to be Nebraska as much as I resisted it over the years, I grew up there. And when I first started leaving there, I started going on trips across the country alone in my car. And I wouldn't choose a direction except west and I wouldn't really choose a plan make a plan and I wouldn't really decide on campsites or anything like that my only rule was that I didn't want to pay for camping and when a person is 18 or 19 and in their early 20s they're pretty young and inexperienced the world seems like kind of a scary place at least it did to me I had a lot of anxiety about my car breaking down or getting lost or getting stuck somewhere or somebody yelling at me and telling me to leave or just kind of unfounded fears that have since I've learned about now that don't make any sense, but they were there. And I've always wondered about where those fears came from. And now, even though I'm perfectly comfortable traveling like that now, not paying for camping, camping wherever I find a flat space on bike or on foot or in a car or whatever, just finding some pull off and going into the trees. That's my favorite kind of camping now, which used to terrify me. I used to not sleep when I did that. But that kind of a fear I thought I'd gotten over. And when I was on the table experiencing that shock from the surgery kind of going wrong, I realized I hadn't or at least that fear still lives inside of me somewhere because I still felt weak, which is really the source of where that fear came from. In other words, I felt bad about myself. I felt like I wasn't good enough or strong enough or whatever. A friend of mine is a really good runner. I can't even explain how beautiful he looks when he runs. I've never actually seen him run in person, just videos, which makes me sad to say. But (laughs) the fact is, if we ever tried running together, he'd just completely leave me behind, so it probably wouldn't be much fun for him. But he's the kind of person that I look up to because he seems so strong. I know that he's probably got his own problems. Everybody does. But it seems like he's a representative of something that I feel like I'm never really going to be that good at, which is physical strength and endurance. I've often wondered where that damage came from, because if I look at my genealogical history... I've come from very strong people. My One of my grandpas lived to 92, and the only 
reason why he died is because he let his prostate cancer go untreated. Another one of my grandpas was 87 or 88 when he died, and he basically died of a broken heart because he was so, he was a mountain of a man. He had a laugh like a volcano. Maybe I'll include a poem about him in this podcast episode, actually. I should probably read that one, actually. And he was a logger, and my other grandpa was a logger as well, but then he was a farmer, and then he was an insurance salesman at the end of his life, like probably for the last 30 or 40 years or so. They were really strong, old-style dudes. They knew how to do everything you needed to do, know how to do on a farm. And then my dad ran many marathons. He grew up on a farm. He knows how to do everything that you need to do on a farm. And my mom grew up on a ranch raising horses. She knew most of what you needed to know how to do on a ranch. She also ran marathons. So I always have found it strange that I have not been as strong as my parents or grandparents. And I've always been curious about that. And I think that for me, the things that I've struggled with in life have been emotional damage. Um, Growing up, my parents got divorced, which I had no idea... I I didn't understand what was going on when I was seven, eight years old when it happened, but I can see that that it it influenced my growth or inhibited my growth in a certain way now. And it made me addicted to things to try and escape that pain. And I think it influenced me to this day. And I think that it gave me an anxiety disorder that I've more or less taken care of through extreme amounts of effort and care for myself. But it's just so interesting to see how generations of people can be changed by emotional trauma and what that can do to someone for their entire life. At least that's what I think my legacy is. So to stop these endless digressions, I'll just read this poem now and call it done. The title of it is Swallows from Capistrano, and it's about my grandpa on my mom's side. He had bright blue eyes with an old-timer's folded lids, the blue that looks like cracks in a glacier. They glowed out from his stony countenance. His bear-like laugh filled the low room where he sat with his wisdom about everything. The scent of pine smoke hung even in summer around the eaves. The fresh pine needle scent wafted, too, down the hill from the hot sun. And he watched in the spring the swallows who came back from the eaves of the mission in far south and hot. Capistrano. My mom says she has a strange mind like him, sees elements as part of people, the rising of fire into smoke as a type of person, or a water-earth type. My grandpa 
He must have been a volcano under a glacier, those blue eyes and his rumbling chest pouring forth wisdom and love for sitting in the sun. Once everyone could handle him no more, he lit fires with diesel fuel and wet wood through the cold winter. And in spring, he sat and watched the swallows. So I guess my hope is that by noticing what has hurt me in life, I'll be able to heal certain things. But I also don't think life is just about focusing on what's wrong. I think it's about listening to what feels good to me. And one of those things is being outside. I think that's why my mind went there when I was laying on that table in the Planned Parenthood clinic in Burlington. It's because that's my place of refuge. And I'm lucky to have traveled to the places that are so unimaginably beautiful that they don't seem like they exist on the same earth as everywhere else. And I'm also lucky to be able to find those places seemingly anywhere. It's more about how you inhabit them, maybe, than the places themselves. My grandpa, both of them were tough guys. Somehow, even though they sustained a lot of damage, they were very physically strong despite all that. I guess that kind of a damage that they got went deeper and it changed their ability to listen. Fortunately, I've become a pretty good listener. So now, through my running habit, I'll hopefully be able to become stronger physically too. and heal these things that have transpired. Thanks for listening.